And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hi, Jeffrey. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for um, reminding our listeners that this is this is just the early morning that we, <laughs> we recorded this. <laughs> it's just a Monday morning, whatever day it is that you're listening. I'm drinking Guinness. How are you? I'm good. I just silenced all the loud, loud appliances in my apartment because I never remember to turn them off and I'm always doing laundry, it seems. Um, I'm ready. My lights literally just turned on because I have smart lights and uh, I'm going to shatter your illusion and say it's sunset so they know to turn on when the sun sets. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's a Monday morning and we're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I like the smart house you live in. If that's a Disney Channel original movie reference to Smart House starring um, Katie Seagal, I'll take it. Wait, is that a real thing? Do you not know? I think I've. T- I, there's no. There's simply no way I haven't mentioned on this podcast, but maybe it hasn't aired. But yeah, it's a Disney Channel original movie. Um, Katie Seagal basically plays like Hal, but like in an apron, and um, <laughs> she's like the a virtual maid in this smart home, and then um, she like goes rogue and. Uh, like antics ensue. I need that right away. I saw Katie Seagal once in Sherman Oaks and she was with her kids outside a liquor store, like just being cool mom. They were literally like sitting outside the liquor store, like a homeless family. That's how cool she is. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> like a summer night, just Katie and the kids outside a liquor store. Um, <laughs> what, a, what a fun LA story. Uh, yeah. You... Speaking of Dogville. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I mean, I was going to have you introduce yourself in the movie, but that also works. I'm Jeffrey, and we're talking about Dogville, the Nicole Kidman movie that I most wanted to talk about because I have the poster in my bedroom. Do you actually? I, I, I really do. I, it used to be above my bed, but it's not really a sexy thing to have above the bed. Is it's it like, the, is it the like, white poster? Or is it the like, no, truck? No, I have the white apples? one folded, but like I've got the one with the apple truck where it's just Nicole <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> um, so I normally can't remember the like sequence of events for anyone reserving their movie, but I, I do think that you volunteered for this first. This was your first choice, right? I, it was either yeah. It's the it's you had mentioned you know there's the trilogy. There's Eyes Wide Shut, Dogville, and Birth are sort of like the the diehard Nicole nerds want to talk about for days. I used to be obsessed with this movie, mind you. I saw it when it came out. I was living in New York in my early twenties. And I went to go see it, and my mind was blown. The David Bowie song comes on at the end. I was like, this is deep shit. And I remember people would talk about it. I worked at this bougie toy store on Greenwich Street, or no, was it Gay and Christopher Street in the village? And like, it would always be like celebrities coming in, like Sarah Jessica Parker when she just had little the little gay son. And they would all talk about this movie, and everyone would have an opinion. And I just thought they were all morons because none of them got it. And then I don't think I'd watched it since. So what a week we've had. It's It's been a week. Uh, this Watching this movie has been like looming on my horizon for a couple months now at this point. Um, this is You've only my second time. I've second seen it once before. Yeah, to contextualize, um, I once upon a time used to have uh, days off during the work week. And I used to go to a friend's house and just kind of like be like a leech in their home while they just like work from home. Um, And I would just like fuck around and watch TV and like watched all of Hannibal that way. And one day they were like, Oh, you should just like watch this movie. It has Nicole Kidman in it. It's called Dogville. 
And I was like, sure. And I just like sat down and I was like, maybe we should get lunch before. And we did not. And then like, it turned out to be a three hour. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We just sat through the whole thing. And um, like, I came out of it starving and just emotionally devastated. Uh, And honestly, I think that's the right way to watch it. That's the right way to watch all Nicole McKinnon movies, really. It's, um, it's how I've watched most, except for the ones on the podcast that I said that I ordered a pizza halfway through, that it's not for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all, it's for all of them, except for the ones that I say explicitly that it's not. Uh, do you think that your, your sisters, Daniel and, and Ben, did you justice for the other two movies in your Trinity? If you oh, say no, I'll cut it. Of course <laughs> They're amazing. I, I never uh, speak ill of anyone. I'm like Nicole that way. Yeah, she, she's, she's quite positive. You and I talked a little bit about before this uh, on like the chances of whether or not she knows about this podcast, which is probably not. And then like, should I be worried about any of the things that I've said? Because she's so, uh, she's so positive. Like, and why I think would I'm you okay. talk shit about Nicole though? Like, why would you even? Like, what bad has she done? She's done no bad. She's done no bad. I think there are like a couple things that I said she wasn't great in, but they're usually because like the material really does not serve her. Well, but yeah, also, she's... if you have to compare, you know, something will be worse. She's a she's a breadwinner too. You know, there's a business. She's got a. There's always those. The thing about Nicole, we're, we'll get in the movie, I swear. But like, every actress usually has their like come up, and then they're forced to go away after they're like 28. 28 is actually being generous. So like Kirsten Dunst, uh, Alison Lohman, God bless her. They all disappear. And then if they're lucky, they get to come back like in their late 30s, early 40s and start playing moms. Whereas Nicole didn't like those movies you're talking about. Those were like the period where other actresses don't even work. So like you've got to give her credit. She never not doesn't work. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I at one point had this like grand plan where I thought about doing this podcast chronologically. Uh-huh. Uh, but there is kind of like... Um, it's kind of like a Julianne Moore period where like she's got a set of these two where you get into like trespass and like invasion. Um, What's the invasion? Inva- the invasion, the interpreter, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, that might be kind of like a a dreary, dreary like, couple Dogville of weeks for writing. Dogville is Nicole writing high. Like she's coming off of Moulin Rouge and the others. Like she's at the prime of her powers in this movie, and it it shows because it's shot really Verde. So you just see her face and like before we even get into it, like the style of the movie, what makes Dogville so rad, even liking or not Lars von Trier, he cuts disparate takes together. And like, this is a movie where you really see that Nicole is a master because she'll do three different emotional intentions in the same scene and he'll cut them all together. So it creates this like fantastic Brechtian energy and he couldn't do that with Bryce Dallas Howard. No disrespect to Bryce, but like she's not as masterful like as Nicole at the top of her power who's able to give you like, oh, you want to do it happy? You want to do it sad? Oh, you want to do it sultry? Sure. And she did it. And like that must have been a lot of fucking work. Yeah, I think a couple of things. One, I think you're definitely the first person on the podcast to use the word Brechtian. So congratulations. Uh, I think um, this is also where I will say um, and I hope not to be shamed for this, but this is the only Lars von Trier movie that I've ever seen. But I assume that you're referring to Manderley. Manderley was the one. It was this was Dogville was supposed to be a trilogy, and it's funny because there's an interview after. Like I, I went through the whole rigmarole as I've been bothering you all week because I'd watched the movie and then I found the documentary, The Dogville Confessions, and then that even wasn't enough for me because The Dogville Confessions, I just lost my mind. 
and had to go look at interviews. And there's interviews like right after this movie was made and was coming out where like she had agreed to do a trilogy with him of Dogville movies. The first one is Dogville set in like the, you know, Appalachia or whatever. Second movie is Manderley about race slave in race relations, which not great for Lars to cover. And then the third one was about Washington. So I don't know if she was going to be a politician or something. No one really knows because I don't think he ever wrote it. But he like sort of shames her into saying she'll do all three movies in this press conference. And it's very awkward. <laughs> and <laughs> in the same press conference, he's like starts talking about being an anarchist and like relating to Hitler. And she just pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking, <laughs> which <laughs> I'd never very, seen her do. Very anarchist, very baller. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, this is that real shit. Oh, that's tough. It's really funny, too, because, like, the very first piece of trivia on IMDb is, like, that there were all these rumors that Nicole just, like, couldn't stop talking about how she'd never work with him again after this. Yeah, but she's polite, and she... It's not because she's a real actress and wants to be challenged. Like, look at the director she works with. She will always pick the, like, cool one. She's not about, like, the year, like we talked about, like, there's movies she does to make ends meet, but even those are weird as fuck. I mean, Trespass is a Schumacher like, you know, pulp movie. So, like, she's never not doing the interesting choice. So, like, to work with Lars after, mind you, the movies that had come out were Breaking the Waves and Dancer in the Dark, and those are both unbelievable. I mean, Breaking the Waves is a masterpiece, and Dancer in the Dark is still, like, hard to watch. It's so good. But, so this was naturally, like, oh, of course I want to work with him. He had a reputation of, like, putting actresses through it, and Bjork had even like said she, this all came out this year. She hadn't talked about that movie ever. And then with all the Me Too shit going down, she's like, "Yeah, I told Nicole not to work with him," and wrote her a letter. And then Bjork said that this movie Dogville is about. It was like written, making fun of Bjork's experience on Dancer in the Dark, meaning a woman goes into a situation and is brutalized. Right, <laughs> and like right. that's so fucked up. But like, yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. There, there are so many stories like online about shit just like that from like almost every member of the cast. Like there's a, there's stories of like Paul Bettany not wanting to do this movie and not wanting to work with him. And like Stellan Skarsgård being like, no, like you should do it. Like it's such a funny environment on set. And then like halfway through him being like, why did you tell me that? And he's just like, Oh, cause like I knew you wouldn't do it. And like, now you're here and like maybe to learn something, which is just like, Oof. and like Lars von Trier, like getting naked on set to like quote provoke his actors. And it's like, ah, mm, ah. <laughs> Yeah, and that documentary shows it. Uh, like, all that I take with a grain of salt, and I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, people love those stories. Like, they said Bjork ate her costume and ran off into the woods. And, you know, finally this year, Bjork addressed it. And it was just so funny to see her say, I did not eat my costume. Because, like, that's just always been this legend. It's the equivalent <laughs> of that uh, story about Terry Hatcher, like, living in her van, which is, like, obviously made up, but it, like, forces Terry Hatcher to have to say the sentence, like, I'm not broken homeless and living in my van, yeah. which is, like, almost as good as it being true. Yeah, it is. And so, like, this <laughs> documentary, you see it, and it all of a sudden became really clear, the dynamic. He's just petulant. He's, you know a straight white man who has a lot of power and he obviously is deeply troubled and he's been very open about mental illness. He's been very open about struggling with depression and you see it in like, he has the sort of emotional maturity of an eight year old 
with all this power and with, you know, the best DP in the industry. So it's very bizarre when you have like these AA actors. I mean, the documentary actually made me angry because he doesn't know how to deal with Lauren Bacall and it's fucking Lauren Bacall and she's there and she's down. Like, that's the thing. Lauren, Nicole, they're all down. They're doing this because they want to be like pushed to the next thing because they've seen the other two movies. And all of a sudden they see these other two movies, which are consummate and like dark and heavy. And then they're on Dogville, which is, you know, where is it? Did they film in Denmark? Do you know this? Uh, it was all in Sweden, I think. And it's super gray, and they're in a soundstage with no set. <laughs> and they're having to, you know, pretend to open doors. Mind you, I think that's fabulous. And I think, you know, if you're not pretending to open doors when you go in and out of a room, you're not doing drag. But like... I did see, I did recently see um, a production of the Who's Tommy here, like two weeks ago. And the big, the gag was that I didn't realize it was a children's theater company. Um, but one of the things that made me laugh the hardest throughout the whole thing was uh, they're simulating opening doors because sometimes they would open a door inwards and they would close <laughs> it out. I also imagine Lauren McCall doing the thing that she does in birth where at the end she's like, I never cared for Sean. Like her yeah. just saying like, I never cared for Lars von Trier. No, but they have these confessionals in the documentary and you see her being like, he doesn't like me. I don't know why he won't talk to me. And you see him and he's physically incapable of it. He's intimidated and he's overwhelmed. But rather than just like talk to her about it or say, how are you? He like isolates or makes jokes at people like an asshole, like yeah. Benji, Benji Madden. Like he's just no. a douche. And like, yeah. oh, then you see it. And like Nicole's incredibly patient. But at the same time, like there's the famous thing. It's like actually on the IMDb. And then you see it in the documentary after a rape scene where like, the scene's cutting and he goes over to other people and make a joke about Stellan's ass being out. And meanwhile, Nicole's shaking and crying. <laughs> and like only after somebody says like, go check on Nicole, does he walk over to her? Yeah. And she pretty, she pretty famously like didn't interact with the cast very much. It was like one of those situations. So I just, I can't imagine how isolating that must be. Yeah, and you, but you watching the documentary, she's so down. It just made me all the more obsessed with her. It's like she had this thing, like after the divorce, she was like sort of broken and had nothing. And so she just threw herself into being literally the best actress and to the point where, okay, cool, this is going to suck shit. I'm just going to go with it and use it for the character and make the most out of this and literally like carry everyone else on my back if I have to, including Lars, but this is going to work. And she did. It's just, I don't like her in that position. I don't like Lars for creating that environment. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of things I'll say here. One, thank you so much for saying the phrase "just go with it" as promo for a future episode. Oh, her, her great comedy. <laughs> yeah. Her, <laughs> and um, should we get into this movie? <laughs> let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. I have no, I have a chronological notes. Okay, so the first thing I'll say is that this movie has the structure of having a prologue and having nine chapters. So I don't think we'll actually like nail each one, but no. there. I do think we should start with the prologue and I think we should probably set the scene of the structure of this movie. And I have a lot to say about that opening shot. Great. Do it. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, it's, what I have to say about that shot is that gif of Gaga where she's like, amazing, beautiful, wonderful, one of a kind, like <laughs> that thing. That's what it, I have the, to say about it. The technical filmmaking shit in this movie is insane. The fact that it's obviously 
a composite of like a bunch of camera shots like doesn't affect me at all but essentially what we're looking at is like a top-down shot of like a chalk outline town it's all on a sound stage so we're seeing like drawn out walls for houses we're seeing labels for things uh we're seeing um little like puffy cloud shapes with like the words gooseberry bushes next to them uh there's an outline of a dog it's that sort of thing and so throughout the movie what you'll see is you'll see characters interacting in their homes um while other scenes are taking place uh kind of like unbeknownst to them very sparse like sound effects being inserted as you mentioned for doors opening that sort of thing um but we start with kind of this this slow pan in on was it eventually pan to is it the radio yeah it's a, it's jennifer Connolly's husband in his house right <laughs> and it at uh, nighttime the walls are black and daytime they're light up white yeah 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 it's uh, my good. favorite my favorite detail is the like the mine so there's like a mine at the edge of town and all <laughs> it is it's just like progressively smaller like wooden like i don't know like city art yeah yeah it's the best <laughs> i remember people when it came out were like i just wish it was shot in a real place and i'm like oh you miss it completely you miss the point completely <laughs> Yeah, he he said, like, he just wrote it as a standard movie, and he was like, I don't like this, this is, like, boring, it has nothing to say, which, like, doesn't necessarily mean you should, like, pull a stunt like this, but I actually do think that it, like, serves the purpose. Well, then then this gets into it. If we're going to go into this very beginning, like, the first thing I wrote is this is a movie about Trump supporters. Straight up. Like, this is a movie about the, the, the heartland and I, mind you, I'm coming from perspective. I grew up in Boston and then lived in New York City and then L.A. So I've never been to Appalachia. I've never been to the heartland. But I That's know... That's why like, von Trier has never been to America. So he made a no, whole movie. No, but I think it's so spot on. As much as I think he's a piece of shit, the movie is like this sort of weird manipulation. It's like how we pretended that the coal miners had anything to do with the election of Trump. There are no coal miners. That's like, in the, the same thing as like this town. Oh, look, they make cute little pies. I wrote, like the first thing I wrote down here is I like how Grace collects the figurines because I love, you know, action figures and vintage games and you can't get any good antiques in LA or New York because everyone's trying to get antiques in LA and New York. So when you go to like Oklahoma, oh, there's a cute little thrift shop, but like it comes at a price where like they want to kill the gay people. So is it worth like the Happy Days board game and a cute cardigan for like my rights being stripped away? Not really. <laughs> so yeah, that's no, what I thought. Not- <laughs> it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you want, I, I feel like I know that you watched Big Love somewhere in my heart. I know that you did. I did for like the first bit. I went, uh, that yeah. <laughs> okay, so we'll go offline with the rest. Star of Dogville, <laughs> Chloe Sevigny, also star of Big Love. Her mother, played by Mary Kay Place, like, collected Yadro figurines, and that was yeah. like a very large plot point for a while. <laughs> That's what I thought of. Um, yeah, so I was just like amazed at how concise, concisely it handles rural America. Because it is this thing of like, we, we hold them up to this sort of, we hold, put them up on a pedestal being like, oh, this is real America. When it's like sort of, you know, oh, look, they have dirt roads. Great. <laughs> There's this interview with Lars von Trier where he said, like, he explicitly states what he thinks the movie is about, which is just the idea that evil can happen anywhere, which I think is, mm-hmm. like, fine. But I think, mm-hmm. like, far more interesting is, like, what this movie has to say about, like, capitalism, what this movie has to say about uh, just, like, the role of women. I mean, this movie is basically Pirate Jenny at the yes. end of the day. Yes, completely. Like, almost identically in its form. Uh, 
and I don't know, so it's like, this is where I talk about mother and I give myself a pat on the back for doing it every episode. But like, it's the same thing where it's like having someone tell you what mother is about is inherently so much less interesting than like any of the things that you in that moment think it's about. Sure. But I think it's interesting that like, this is set in the Dust Bowl and those are the same issues we're going through now. Like this right. could be set during the 2016 election and it's the same thing. It's like, oh, we're going to take you to Walmart. You're our friend now. And oh no, you tried to, you're too pretty. We don't like you anymore. <laughs> where you try to get us to read books. And I sound so elitist talking about this, and I already apologize. I, oh, well. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, this movie puts it on blast from the jump. Like, this movie starts with, like, a town meeting where they're talking about, like, moral integrity, and they're looking for, like, illustrations to prove that point. And this yes. movie, like, they're just looking for someone to make an example of, uh, and like, it ends up being Nicole and her actions. Uh which gives us chapter one in which Tom heard gunfire and meets Grace. Yeah. Uh, and she's so gorgeous. <laughs> she's so beautiful in this movie. It's shocking. And it's interesting because like, this isn't a cut to Nicole, but I think, you know, it's shot with overhead lighting and it's shot sometimes garish and his camera is right in her face. He Lars acted as DP and in, in that he held the camera on a sort of weird body, uh, gravitron thing and i don't think she liked the way she looked in the movie because she became very like sort of image conscious like that's when she started you know getting a lot of facials after this movie came out and it's so funny because that's so far from the truth because she looks incredible in this movie you realize she really is just one of the true beauties yeah it's we see like a we see a shot i think it's from like the mountain perspective and we see her kind of like walk up the street into the town and then uh-huh. it eventually gets like very, very close. And like your only thought could possibly be like, this woman is so stunning. Like there's just uh-huh. simply no room in anyone else's brain to think anything else. Is this the first blonde movie? Uh, let's, let's think about that. Cause her coloring is nuts in this movie. I just love it. It's a little unnatural. Uh, she's a I little, no, she's a little. I have no sense of time at this point, but it could, yeah. it could very well be. It's a good moment. No, she's unbelievably beautiful. Um, and I just love her, the idea of her walking up to these houses asking if we have any chores that need done. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's, it's very, I mean, it's Mary Poppins. It's just this like stunning woman shows up at your door and is like, I can help you now. Oh, okay. <laughs> My friend's lawyer lived in the house that Tom and Nicole lived in in the 90s. And I went there for a breakfast after Rosh Hashanah. And let me tell you, there was no like room that didn't get snuck into. I was just obsessed. I was like, I need to see every place that they went, (laughs) every room, every bathroom. (laughs) I couldn't get over it. I took pictures. I was just trash that night. (laughs) Um, Should we, so should we talk about some of the people that live in the town? Some of the people that she has? Oh, there's good people. There's good people. We talked about Lauren McCall. We talked about, Mm -hmm. we talked about Chloe. Ben Gazzara of all those movies that I don't really care for. Mm-hmm. Patricia Clarkson of all those movies that I do care for. Patty Clarkson, there's a star. Oscar nominee the, Patricia Clarkson in the boy a from Spanking the Monkey. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the woman who plays the birthing coach in Baby Mama as the like lady that runs the church. Wait, who? Oh, oh, I wrote down um, that is Siobhan Fallon. Thank and you. If, if there was a god. Um, Siobhan Fallon would have egotted already. Like she's a real—that's that, a star. 
I know I feel bad that I couldn't remember her name off the top of my head and also that I no. said that she was a baby mama which is so reductive <laughs> she was on SNL too and I thought um I this is also bad I, I thought I get her and Melanie Hustle from SNL confused these are like the early 90s ladies and Melanie Hustle was in the screening where I saw Florida Project and I like had a hard time concentrating because I was like oh my god a real star look at <laughs> that like, what does she think about the Florida Project <laughs> is she having fun is she having a good time does she cry yep <laughs> Uh, who else is there? Um, Cleo King, who was in Magnolia, Queen. Uh huh, Marcy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Blair Brown's around. Um, Jeremy Davies is there. Also, the narrator is uh, John Hurt. That should. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we meet, I don't know, we meet some people. She eats carbs in the beginning. She eats bread right away. She eats carbs. She steals that bone from the dog. And uh-huh, then says she, uh-huh. has to pun- she says she has to punish herself, which, you know, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> she um I, when I was she was eating the bread I was reminded of there's time I have a friend in New York who's a personal trainer and he worked at this like hotel at the gym in the hotel and Nicole would be up at like six in the morning and she does her cardio bright and early she's a cardio girl she likes the stairmaster your proximity to Nicole is I'm gonna say the closest to anyone that's been on the podcast so far and it's it is intense. shocking to me I, I wouldn't be able to like but at the same time I haven't like been in the room with her and I don't know how I don't think I'd be all right I don't think I'd be like normal. I can cut this out if if you tell me that I should, but I think one time you told me that you were like, yeah, I, I have her email address. <laughs> oh, I do have her email address. I, and that's one of like the great, I, mean, I pride myself on the fact that I've never given it out. Um, yeah, cause I worked at Lionsgate when she was doing Rabbit Hole. And I remember a friend of mine was out and met her at a bar and they talked all night. And she was really sweet and gave him this email address. And he went and she's like, oh yeah, reach out. I'd love to talk more. And he emailed it and it was, it bounced back. (laughs) And then like cut to all these years later and I'm working at Lionsgate and I like have her email address for work. And it's like, oh, he just spelled it wrong. She totally gave him the right email address. (laughs) So yeah, he put Kendrick with two D's. (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) it's an AOL, it's an AOL email. God bless her. Oh shit! I think I've if I haven't said this before on the podcast, I've said it before on my Twitter or the podcast Twitter that I got drunk once and recently and like emailed her management about this podcast. Good, good, do it. So anyway, <laughs> uh, basically Chapter she shows one. up. Yeah, she shows up and needs a place to stay while Tom Paul Bettany is like giving a speech on um, declining morals and essentially. In our, an agreement is struck that Nicole will have two weeks to stay there. Um, her name is Grace, too, which is the third, soon-to-be fourth time she's played a per- character named Grace, which I think is insane. Wait, I'm sorry. I, uh, please tell me the other time she plays Grace. Um, Grace of Monaco, obviously. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, let me see if I can think about this off the top of my head. How embarrassing that I said that fact and, like, can't. She's played a per- character named Isabel twice. I can tell you that much. Um, of course. Isabel Bigelow. Isabel Bigelow, yes. She played a character named Grace in... We'll just... We'll figure it out. Oh, is it The Others? It's The Others. Oh, that's good. It's The Others. And then she has a movie coming up. I think it might be The Goldfinch. If it's not, it's Boy Erased that she plays someone named Grace. Iconic. Um, so Grace is going to stay here for two weeks and she's going to do chores to like prove herself. Um, which brings us to chapter two, in which Grace follows Tom's plan and embarks upon physical labor. 
She tucks her hair behind her ear, and it's really iconic. And this is the point where I wrote, I'm sure everyone says this, but this is actually Nicole's best performance <laughs> in this movie, hands it, down. It was on my letterbox list. Uh, it's definitely in the top five. It's, I think, in the top three, and it might have to shift positions. Because um, right now I have Birth as her number one. I don't think it's going to be yeah. that, but it might be number two. No, it just she has more colors in this than birth. I I stand for birth, believe me. But like this one, with the with the nature of the editing and the different takes in the same scene, it's just you see she's just such a pro. It's insane. It's so good when she has to like alternate in when she's in a room with Lauren Bacall and Chloe Sevigny in this chapter, mm-hmm. and like Lauren Bacall is just like badgering her with questions about the bushes, and then she has to like <laughs> her gooseberry pause. bushes. Yeah, she has to pause that to like look at Chloe and like give her advice about her like busted hands, and like talks to her about lotion and like boys. She just flips back and forth between them, and it's two completely different people talking to those characters. Pro, she's the best. I'll hoe as I don well, please. Um, <laughs> I wrote down Lauren Bacall's apartment when she passed at the Dakota, sold for $23 million. <laughs> That's a lot of money. $23 million. It, looks, it looks like a library. It's like not even one of the nicer ones, but I guess like the whole thing of the Dakota is they don't renovate them. So it's just like, here it is. And she's probably lived there since the 60s. What's funny about this is you told me that you took your notes like in chronological order while watching the movie, which means like yeah. during this, either you inserted this fact or during it, you just put this in there. No, when I'm like, when I'm weird, when, like, when, I'm, when I'm bored at work or I like get, or I do too much and I need like a break or a mind, you know, like to just have some downtime, I'll look at real estate in New York as though I've just won the mega millions. That's like one of my favorite things to do. So like you always just want to find the most gorgeous apartment. And so usually like I've learned that you can't really get anything for under 2 million in New York City. And then if you want to live in a building like the Dakota, you have to be prepared to spend at least 10. And Lauren's was, I think Lauren, I think the extra 13 was like the celebrity tax. The prestige, like yeah. Lauren Bacall's house. I mean, if I had it. You'd be short $23 million. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and also, but the thing is, even if you pay $23 million, you still have to pay the like convenient, you have to pay like a maintenance fee, a building fee for like 15000 a month. How crazy is that? I just put, gave you $23 million and you want 15 a month to take out my laundry or to take out the trash? No, thank you. I'm not living in the Dakota, point being. <laughs> Back to dog bill. <laughs> uh, can we talk about um, like the, the level of bureaucracy surrounding the church organ and the bell that like Siobhan Fallon is constantly espousing where she's like has to check with like the, the papacy or whatever to like figure out uh-huh. if they can use the bell for like non-church related tasks. Yeah, it's like all these bureaucracy things. It's like people, you know, get very tied up with rules and rules are all made up but of course to her it's her whole life that bell's all she has yeah it's a good setup because later like they're gonna use that bell in just like the worst way so it's a good setup to be like i didn't want to think about that i didn't want to think about the back half of this movie yeah (laughs) Uh, um i love that nicole's sex positive because there's that little like that grubby man who takes the apples to and fro and gets things from outside of town and you know they make fun of him because he goes to the whorehouses and Nicole, she doesn't bat an eye. She's like, I'm sure those women bring a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. Good for her. That's progressive. She's a real city girl. That's the thing I don't think we've touched on. Nicole Grace is a city girl, and she's ran away from all that. She wants to, you know, she doesn't think that that's real America, like the, like the Republicans. And she wants to go explore rural America. Only, you know, look what she gets, a bunch of dirty streets. 
She gets a bunch of dirty streets. She gets that guy who works in the freight industry who was um, uh, on damages, which is like another connection Nicole has to Glenn Close. If you're keeping <laughs> score. <laughs> at least one of Patricia Clarkson's children at this point wants to like probably have sex with Nicole, which is like, I think one of yeah. the first instances that you know that like these people are going to turn on her. Other than just like that being putting all over stealing. his face. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and he does the voice. Did you ever see that documentary Hell House where it's like evangelicals yes. who like stage? He does that voice. There's a weird intonation where she's like, he's dying of AIDS. And like the little boy, <laughs> the little boy does that intonation. I lost my mind because he's like, I'm not even to little baby. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Uh, Nicole's physicality with Chloe is something I, I wrote down. <laughs> She's not it's, comfortable with her. <laughs> it's so good because Chloe's like defining characteristic is that basically all the boys in town have like an affection for her, but it's like pretty, it's like pretty schoolgirl crushy. Like they're all just kind of like looking at her with like puppy dog eyes. And I think like imme- as soon as Nicole shows up, almost instantly like the gaze shifts to her, but it is like very, very menacing. So the way they interact mm-hmm. with each other is, is, a lot for me. Yeah, it's, it's really She's good. doing like Chloe with Stillman acting like in this movie, which is so great. Yeah, I'm torn about it now because like I, I go back and forth. I remember periods thinking this is her best performance, Chloe. And like I give her credit because she lets herself look goofy. But then watching the documentary where I see how hard Lars is on everyone and he lets her behave. Like he, she's literally doing like a Grand Guignol performance and everyone else he's like ripping apart for overacting. It, it, it's pretty, I don't know, something's up there. Something's up there. <laughs> I think she's the person that the most just shows up and just does the thing that she does. She's kind of yes. just left alone. And I yeah, think, I it's think there were a lot of levels. Maybe it's not the most like compelling thing. No, but it's it's entertaining. I scream every time they talk about figurines. Every single time. <laughs> I just lost it. I love that as a device. I love the figurines. I love what they mean to her. I just, it's good. I love the conceit that they want, that the business in the home that Chloe lives in is that they just take regular glassware and they shave the edges down to make it look like fancy glassware. That, like, I scream every time they talk about that as a plot point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yep. so funny. You mentioned it already, but, like, this is what we should understand to be a mining town. We know this because there's a mine that takes up a third of the set, but, like, there's nary a miner to be found here. No, yeah, because mining's not a real thing. <laughs> like it was, it was so long ago. We all realized, oh, mining's really bad. Look at they're all covered in black when they come out, and they're dying. Maybe we shouldn't use coal. Yeah, great. Why? Why are we pretending? Why is the New York Times telling us the miners are in peril? Yeah, they've been in peril because mining's deadly. Yeah, we all saw North Country. We know it's deadly. We're <laughs> cold. Um, there's a, I quoted, I don't have a lot of quotes, but there's one where Nicole, they're like talking about their poor people stuff and they're like, wah, wah, wah. and she goes, that must be really tiring for you. And I just thought that was so fabulous because like, that's how you deal with crazy people. You just let them talk and you say, oh, I'm sorry, that must be terrible. And like reveal nothing of yourself. And like clearly Nicole knows that from real life. And it just, it comes through shining. It's a beautiful moment. It's so good. Um, Can we talk about how funny the chapter three title is, which is chapter three in which Grace indulges in a shady piece of provocation. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. (laughs) And what that essentially is the shady piece of provocation. Um, Pretty much in this one, it's like her time's up. 
and this is when they vote. So they vote whether or not she should stay. So she goes on like hides in the mine and she's like, if I hear 15 bell chimes, I'll know that like the 15 people of the town voted. Yes. And I can stay like spoiler alert. She, she gets them. Um, I don't, I don't actually know what it was. Cause I wrote down the list of things that people give her, but I would, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. You know, this is when, like, there were two, there's sort of, the movie shifts here a bit. Like, because I love that Nicole tolerates everyone, and she's really patient, because that's what I imagine her life in Nashville to be like. Like, you know, people come up to her at the supermarket, and she's, like, very sweet and pretends to know their name or have met them before. (laughs) But really, she just wants to, you know, not be near them. And then everyone starts taking advantage. Like, you can just imagine those people down at the Piggly Wiggly think that, like, oh, I saw Nicole Kidman here, and she said this, and she did that, and they all think they she owes them something somehow and so like that's what happens in dogville (laughs) just like nashville (laughs) they start taking advantage um i think the piece of provocation is probably just the convincing that her and tom do to get everyone to vote for her and then they all give her like trinkets like someone gives her a map and someone gives her like a pie these people suck i hate these people people Um, suck but chapter four is happy times in dogville so she doesn't think so at least for a little bit Wait, is this when the little boy begs to get hit? So, no, this is, like, when she um, starts to, like, go into the store and she buys her first of, like, the seven, like, China dolls. So oh, this yeah. is your favorite oh, plot yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, uh-huh. They give her a home. That home is just an abandoned mill, which, again, you're a town that has nothing. Like, you need that mill for milling. <laughs> but, like, definitely just let her live in it, I guess. And the, the, it's funny because the questions, I never had the questions watching the movie and then like watching the documentary, like Lauren Bacall's like, where do they get the eggs? Where do they get the milk? <laughs> and he just didn't want to answer them. <laughs> I think this is also the chapter where Chloe says that she's just happy not to be ogled at. And I laugh. Yeah, she's like, tired of being, yeah. <laughs> fell out of my couch. Um, and then the cops show up and they put a missing poster up. And then everything shifts, yes. And everything shifts, yeah. So at this point, Grace is just missing. Um, and I think later, there's another chapter where um, it, the poster switches to being a wanted poster, and then they really fucking lose it. Yes, because they lack empathy, like all the Republicans. They don't, like, the minute somebody needs something or might take a piece of their pie, literally, they all of a sudden become animals. And they become dogs, and everyone's greedy and awful, and they take it all out on poor Grace because she's doing so much for them. And then the minute that they see, oh wait, she's wanted. We're doing. We're we're somehow maybe possibly one day inconvenienced by her being here. They all start acting a fool. Yeah, and uh, then the little boy starts begging to get hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, the because we need to be reminded this is a movie about america there's a fucking fourth of july chapter right in the middle which has Mm -hmm. all of my favorite moments in it if i'm being honest tell me um well for you she has five figurines at this point very important update (laughs) um two things specifically they're both lauren mccall moments one is um (laughs) mccall like points out that the so they've said that they're going to ring the bell like to help like to warn grace in case like the mobsters come or the police come um so like lauren mccall says like oh i saw them coming up the hill and um siobhan fallon is like well should i ring the bell while grace is just standing right there like she tells grace and siobhan's like well should i ring the bell like i gotta let her know (laughs) and then the other thing the other thing is the narrator says um it's right after grace like breaks that glass and um everyone's like fucking staring at her the narrator says like uh 
the conversation was like um, brought up by a shout and then it's Lauren McCall that speaks and she's almost whispering. <laughs> she's like the best thing ever. Yeah, it's like a low, it's like a half bellow. <laughs> could it be, could it be quieter? It's the no, Every thing. time I laugh, every time. It's just one of those great camp moments where it's like, it's like the entire movie, the fan, all like encapsulated in one little moment where <laughs> then she shouts and she's like, Grace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we all also get the scene where she gets yelled at for trampling through the bushes and i imagine you have a lot to say about that i mean i just i i think that like clearly they survive this intact lauren and nicole like both through mutual admiration and having survived this sort of hardship of the shoot because like clearly they went on to work together right away in birth and like that's not accidental right and like you know, whoever, who, I mean, I'm sure that Nicole was like, oh, we should get Lauren to do it because they are amazing together. I mean, I wish there were, I wish there were more movies of just Nicole and Lauren Bacall talking. <laughs> yeah, we could get like a Frost Nixon. That's just the two of them. Wait, did you see the movie where like it's on YouTube, but they took it down where Lauren Bacall like was clearly auditioning for a movie version of Bollies and sings I'm Still Here or it was for Stephen Sondheim's birthday one of those gay one one gay occasion <laughs> and like it was just Lauren singing like two lines at a piano in some really expensive apartment you, you know what I'm talking about no but I want that now uh, oh my god it's the greatest thing ever it's like because she's like of course not hitting a single note but then like <laughs> skips and she's like I got through all the last year and I'm here I'm here <laughs> <laughs> I should tell you the last time I saw a production of that show, it was also in the Bay Area here. And it was also like, it was one of those, like, I was in like a gymnasium. I was on like a folding chair. Um, a couple of things happened. Uh, no, but it was like in like a community center. <laughs> uh, and there were like some good, there were some good things. The, the Sally, the adult Sally was like 18, which is like, it's not her fault. She's 18 and got cast, but like she was as good as an eight year old playing adult Sally could have been. But all of this is to say that the the woman that decided to sing I'm Still Here did it all seated. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> there's just literally nowhere to go from there. And then, because that character's mostly done in Act 1, at the act, actually not even at the act breaks, there would have been an intermission. After that number, descended the front of the stage because it was a gymnasium, so it was one of those stages with like a staircase on either end. Yeah. She descended the stage in her costume and then picked up the violin because she was the second violinist for the rest of the show. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> it was I mean, it's kind of amazing, though. Truly remarkable. <laughs> it's also the same production where there was, like, one other gay with me in the audience and he was in the same row. And I, like, couldn't tell if he was making eyes at me or not in the first mm-hmm. act because he kept looking over. But it was because at intermission he looked at me and said, I can't do this anymore and then left. Oh, no. You were abandoned. I was abandoned. Did you do um, a misconnection? <laughs> uh, no, but I should to the man six months ago Not who was late. on that show. Yeah, <laughs> never um, too late. Can you can you talk us through? Uh, Dogville begins to bear its teeth. I know this because chapter six is in which Dogville bears its teeth. Can you talk us through what you mentioned earlier? The kid wanting to be spanked and the results of that with Patricia Clarkson. Yeah, and I wrote down first. I guess the the, the progression in my notes. This is how I know where we are. I say little boy begging to get hit reminds me a lot of the gay boys on Twitter. <laughs> yes. <And> then, yes. <laughs> and then I wrote 95 minutes in, we go 
to the Lars place. And this is when it goes from being like sort of Twee and Tony and Brechtian. And now we sort of violate Nicole. And that's where I'm like, oh God. Like, I think when I'm 23, I'm like, oh shit, yes, this is so deep. This is so, this is a real movie. And then now being older, I don't like seeing Nicole put in those positions. <laughs> and I also don't like seeing Grace put in those positions. And I also think there's like a, it's a sort of maturity thing because the movie sets up one thing. And then all of a sudden, yes, the little boy gets spanked. They all have this information on Nicole. And so they all feel like she owes them something. Of course, this manifests in the men immediately, whether it's the little boy asking her to, you know, hit him or help you know, kill a baby. <laughs> yeah, he really shoves. He really shoves that crab. Yeah, it's pretty aggressive. And then, like, is Stellan Skarsgård his dad? Yeah, his dad, I think his name is Chuck, and he, like, works in the apple orchard. Yeah, he's um, also always covered in pudding. And he, that's when he rapes Nicole. And then, of course, Patty finds out about all this and turns on her and then brings all the women with her. And I just wrote down straight men are the worst. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a real fuck you too because we see the rape and then I think after we see the stuff with the kid and he's like really, he's really laying it on thick with like the I'm going to tell my mother and I'm going to say this. Mm-hmm. So when Vera shows up, I think you're like mostly thinking that she's going to like confront her about that. And then it's it's actually not about that. It's about the Chuck portion. Um, and then they really let her have it. What do they do? Uh, I wrote, she has a vulnerability, a weakness, and then they betray and pick and use it for their own gain. I don't think Chloe Sevigny knows what a quarter of the sentences she's saying mean. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about the doctrine of stoicism, and I'm like, mm, does she know? <laughs> I, I said, I hate environmental theater. <laughs> um, it reminded me of when I saw the Nat Theater Live of... Um, cat on a hot tin roof and i was like really into it and like into the open space and into the staging and then at one point sienna miller throws a uh like a whiskey tumbler upstage and it shatters against the wall that's like supposed to just be like the outside because it's like a wraparound porch and i was like okay (laughs) yeah no bad choices (laughs) um what is it? I wrote Kanmari, but I'll still keep the figurines. I think because I'm doing Kanmari. Figurines. First of all, Patricia Clarkson says, "I believe in education," and that's her way of justifying teaching a lesson. Yeah, no, and that scene is fucking electric. It's electric. The speed, the speed at which she throws them is insane. Yeah, and it gets physical in a way that isn't expected. I feel like this might be one of the scenes where Lars famously was doing horrible things off camera because it's a weird, it's one It's one of the weirder, more interesting scenes in the movie because Patty Clarkson isn't doing what we normally see her do and Nicole is reacting accordingly. Like Patty Clarkson, I don't think her normal inclination would be to shove Nicole Kidman and she does and it's like, oh, fuck. And it it snaps you into this funny place, whereas, like, I got very upset with the violence against her perpetrated by men. This one was like, oh, this is, like, this is intense shit. And then Nicole, obviously being in this town, all these figurines mean so much to her. It's something she did herself, which we haven't really talked about, but, like, she comes from wealth. And so she's in this town to prove that she doesn't need the wealth. She doesn't need all that nonsense, all that city shit to prove that she's, like, one of the people. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Amen. 
Uh, um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the scene where all the women turn on her because, like, later in this chapter, it, uh, she sees um, Cleo King's character, and like, she just she just hits her immediately. Mm-hmm. She, mm-hmm. She's like, um, I wrote OMG in like huge caps, block letters, stoicism. Your gay faves could never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also an iconic line in this chapter, which is after it happens. It's like the morning after, and Grace is like. She's holding something. I can't even remember what it is. And Patricia Clarkson just says, like, why are you carrying your copious belongings with you? Yes. Vicious. <laughs> um, and it's that thing of, like, when you have nothing, this shit matters. Like, it, like you know, Paul Ryan always talking about how, like, oh, you know, if you just didn't have avocado toast or if people didn't get iPhones, it's like, that's literally all people have. All yeah. they have is their, like, fucking phone and their lunch. Like, they don't have, they don't own property. They certainly don't go on vacations. It's like to deny people, like it's to deny their humanity. So I love that, uh, that, you know, like she has these little Hummel figurines and they mean the world to her. And Patty Clarkson just comes in and smash, smash, smash. Brutal. Yeah. She fucks two of them up. And then does she smash all of them eventually? I know she says like, I'm going to smash two. (laughs) Yeah. I think she smashes them all. And then that scene with Chloe, I I wrote in parentheses, I don't think Lars should speak on race. I just, I don't think, I think he's better staying away from that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, this whole chapter is bad. They, they hatch an escape plan with Tom, who is just the worst person because he's just gaslighting her so hard. And he thinks he's being like so noble about it. He's the worst one of them all. It's a straight guy. Yeah. He thinks he's like, he, it's, it's Westworld. He thinks he's really deep and he thinks he has his really great ideas and none of this has been done before, but really it's just, he's a fucking moron. <laughs> that's my, yeah. that's my review of Westworld, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, it took me a year to finish it. I watched eight episodes and then I had like a, almost a full year between it. And then I watched the last two and I just said, you no, know, it makes Fine. me mad. Cause it is straight guy <laughs> shit where like, we have to watch this bad show for four minutes of Tandy Newton being amazing. And that's fucked up. Cause that, that why give us a good show with Tandy Newton. Why does she have to be on the slap and on this show for two minutes? Incidentally, sorry, just really quick. I can't wait to talk about flirting so I can talk about Tandy and Nicole for an hour uh, and a half. Stars together being stars. <laughs> um, <laughs> this part when like the whole town turns on her and everyone starts pushing her and shoving and like she knows it's not going to be sustainable freaks me out because it makes me think of my early 20s in New York when like the landlady would knock on the door and I didn't have the rent. <laughs> and it was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? And like to this day, I can't have like a, a door knock stresses me out because I'm like, I, I pay the rent. <laughs> that reminds me of that New York, uh, maybe it was a New York Times article where it was just talking about how millennials are afraid of like phone, the phone ringing and the uh-huh. like knocks on the door. And it's literally because of shit like that. It's not because we think we're going to get home invaded. It's because of like no. money like that because we have nothing it's like going to the bathroom costs money yeah um and yeah. This, this in the movie to like exemplify this even further they put shackles on her and the same like republican shit they say we want to protect our community and like that just got me like a punch in the gut because it's just so it's literally like what we're going through now with like you know border patrols and all that like what are you talking about who are you protecting your community from nicole kidman yeah, the worst, the worst line in this movie, the most heartbreaking line in this movie for me, um, and I think I have it right, is like right after they do that, they like tie her to this like mill wheel and they like put a bell on her and she's like just trying to like get through the crowd and like someone says something to her and she's just like, I have to figure out how I'm going to get into my house. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's this is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where I wrote Jennifer Connelly's husband sucks. And then it's this is two hours in now, two or three. And I just yeah. said, Nicole is so good. She's just so good. 
<laughs> this movie is such a fuck you too because the first I want to say like the first five chapters are probably just the first hour of the movie and then you have two that take an hour and then another two that take an hour like it's such a fuck you to be like this is a nine chapter movie yeah but also like the back four are 66 percent of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um this is where so yeah the, the torture porn element comes in i mean like obviously there's a camp thing to having her tied to a wagon wheel and a bell but also it's brutal and then like this is the lars von trier shit and i was like trying to get my head around it because she had worked with kubrick and that wasn't easy she had like sort of the safety net of Tom. And I think he also having a wife, he like respected women. I think Kubrick was certainly a misogynist, but I think he respected Nicole Kidman. Cause she's, she's fantastic. I think so too. That being said, he's a puppeteer and was like, you're going to sleep on set. Also, this set is a recreation of my actual apartment. Be my playthings. But yeah. yes, I agree. Yeah. But like also <laughs> he photographs her beautifully, but Lars does that too. It's, it's De Palma too. It's like this, it gets creepy because you can see their worldview. Whereas, like, I think David Lynch loves women in a real way. I don't think I don't think of him as a misogynist, even though there's a lot of brutality against women in his projects. I think he loves them a lot. This sounds like yeah, such no, a, I sound the, like <laughs> I sound like Patty Hearst. No, it's, just, it's the same thing where, and I'm gonna probably get ready for this, but it's the same thing when like Mel Brooks has a character say "faggot." I'm most of me is like, uh, he he loves us. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I mean, it's coming from, yeah, sure. I like, is it, would it happen now? No, but like, I don't think it was meant with the malicious intent that a lot of people would mean it with like there, you know, like, that's literally for one time that he says it in the end of blazing saddles. And when all the men come in from like the Hollywood scene, I'll probably just cut this. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but there are no gay people in dogville. <laughs> no, there are a lot of things that aren't in dogville. One of them is gay people. Other, and, the other one is minors and they might be the same. And like all the all the sort of rumblings of like what did go down, even the stuff we see in this documentary is like he was sexually harassing her. She's a industry pro. What was her first movie? She was like 16, 17. So like she's yeah. been around this and she handles it great. She, it's like all the Nicole magic of like her famous, you know, she's aloof. And she like lets him talk, whereas like Bjork, you know, got upset and said, How dare you? Because Bjork came from a place of like, I'm a huge star. Like, I'm doing you a favor. Nicole did this being like, I am an actress and I want to be the best actress in the world. So, like, she's like, okay, cool. That's part of this assignment. Like, Nora Ephron's not going to talk about her pussy, but Lars is in front of a whole (laughs) crew of people. And so, for her, it's like, cool, I can use that for this character. And so, like, this part of the movie, she's just so electric because she's literally humiliating her and it's awful. And you should never see anyone in this place. But she uses it brilliantly. Like, she doesn't get enough attention for this movie. It's unbelievable how good she is. I just keep saying it, but I'm not over it. Yeah, she definitely takes everything that is being, like, directly weaponized to her and weaponizes it against everyone else, specifically that camera, because she just, I mean, she just kills this entire performance. Um, This entire, like, second to last chapter is all horrible shit it's tom continuing to gaslight her it's everyone in the town raping her uh like including the guy from lost that was like barely in the movie um and like the kids are just like ringing the bell every time it happens and like everyone knows what's going on it's it's horrible yeah um this is where i wrote nicole's the baddest bitch (laughs) because like yeah you couldn't like uh, it like i mentioned earlier like the divorce with tom really made her fearless like she, the divorce happened. She was left with nothing. The whole like Scientology of it where, you know, she was a suppressive person 
and her whole family wouldn't like this family from that side wouldn't speak to her. And then she got injured on Moulin Rouge really badly and she couldn't do panic room. So like she'd been through shit and it was like, okay, well here I am. I'm still here. <laughs> like she just, yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't fuck with her. That Moulin Rouge injury too is like, <clears throat> Leads into like another horrifying fact about this movie, which is like he, Lars Funcher had all these, even, I mean, the rape is mortifying in this movie, but he had like even worse versions staged. And she, like, that was the one thing that she actually couldn't do was because like of how bad her knee was. Yeah. For Moulin Rouge. Uh, and it was like, oh God, we cut her at least one fucking break. Yeah. And there's a scene in the documentary too. I think there was another version of the scene where, you know, we're getting to it as we're talking about it, we may as well get into it, where the whole town fucks her literally and it's it's pretty awful and it's very large and it's meant to represent you know the town's fucking over the poor person who needs help america but yeah you see all the men fuck nicole kidman like and she sort of goes dead-eyed and just lets it happen and it's like she she you know disembodies herself um and And like the next morning like the next morning the only thing that she can think about is like well, not the only thing, but she just, the thing that's driving her the most crazy is that no one, like, woke her up. To go to work. To, like, yeah. start her, like, day yeah. of, like, cruel tutelage, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, in that, there's, Jennifer Connelly's husband has this whole thing, because he's an idealist, and he doesn't actually do anything. He just has ideas about things, and doesn't live in the real world, and he's, like, keeps saying he's in love with Nicole, and she's like, I love you too, and he tries to sleep with her, and I guess the other version was raunchy, like, the rape, and... That's the scene in the documentary I sent you the picture of. I'm just so fucking blown away by it. Because even when they're fighting, it's not like Bjork going off in the woods. It's She says, you know, Lars, you should be careful with this stuff. Because when you make sex jokes, it makes people uncomfortable. And then people stop doing their best work. And it's like she's talking to him. Like she's protecting him. Even though he's creating this set that's totally unsafe and literally putting her through all the shit in the world, she's still in complete control. It's nuts. It's nuts to watch. She does this documentary is so insane. She stays in her American dialect throughout the whole thing. She does they do confessionals like the real world, and she's the only one that stays in her American dialect. <laughs> it's it's nuts. Yeah. It's I kinda wanna pull up the that gift set that you sent me because it's it's a lot. Um yeah, Tom is just so bad in this. And, like, even when he tells her that, like, well, you know, I told the town that you stole the money because I didn't want it to seem... Like, that whole explanation of, like... I, I don't even remember just, what his justification is, but it's just so bad. He just sucks. Uh, he sucks. He just sucks. And even and poor Nicole, like, in this character, like, in that scene, looks at him and says, like, you know, if we had met under different circumstances, and I'm like, what? If he was a completely different person and also the whole town wasn't raping you and you weren't, like, being pursued by mobsters? Like, sure, yeah, in that situation, great. No, it's that it's the same thing as a New York Times editorial. Like, you're, you're apologizing for this abhorrent behavior. And you're like, oh, it's not your fault. And she is that yeah. she is that urban intellectual who's like, oh, I feel bad for you. I'm sorry you weren't given the same opportunities. You know, you can behave monstrously. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's it's relevant, but also horrific. This is the point where I wrote in my notes: Jennifer Connelly's husband does a great impression of a white person who thinks he's woke, finally being out with his black friend. Oh, that's when when Grace's father shows up. 
Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden the so monsters are here and he acts like he's he's intellectual and he's been to the city and he asks all the questions like, oh, I know everything about everything. Yeah, it's it's the like, I would have voted for Obama a third mm-hmm, time of this mm-hmm. movie. And then um, Jimmy Khan is in the movie and th- we're in the home stretch and also it's the best scene that's maybe ever been filmed. <laughs> Straight up. It really is, it really is good. The mobsters pull up, um, Grace like gets in the car. They have a moment that is so Real Housewives, which is like Real Housewives, all franchises love a scene where one person is in a, a building or a situation, usually a limo or more likely like a restaurant or a coffee shop. Uh-huh. The other person should and then they just say what they don't like about each other. And oh my God, you're right. Do. I think one of them actually says, like, we're going to talk about what we don't like about each other. And it's yeah, so he does. great. Yeah, and, and, and they also do, like, the, the style is like those scenes in New York, New York, where Liza and De Niro just yell at each other to provoke an emotional response. <laughs> like, Jimmy Khan and Nicole are so, I think she just feels so comfortable to have another person there. <laughs> and like yeah that she feels safe with because it's been such a horror i think also just as far as the shoot goes and like to have someone she respects and to have somebody who also won't let lars like could you imagine lars saying that shit in front of jimmy khan he would like beat the fuck up yeah, it's as if he, he must have driven like it's literally like he drove straight from hollywood you know what i mean <laughs> uh-huh and so like nicole's on fire and the scene is about ego and the scene is about like all the stuff that like, if we're talking about, you know, I'm, I'm apologizing for coming off as intellectual elite, you know, with regard to the heartland, but like, that's what his point is. He's like, you think this is better? Like, what are you talking about? You're so arrogant. And she d- hates that. That's like the worst thing. It's like Marty McFly being called chicken to call Grace arrogant. Yeah. But like, it it's is a thing actually. that Grace has said about her father or the man in the first chapter she refers to him as she says she's escaping arrogance and mm-hmm. he like says it to her and that like flips her script and yeah. shit goes down it goes down and it's so satisfying as much as i hate guns this town literally puts her through so much and it's like also all that we've been through with this election cycle and like still apologizing for blatant racism and actual nazis and like grace is just something switches in her he comes, I think, isn't it, isn't it Jennifer Connelly's husband comes knocking and asks what's going on? And is that what flips her? Yep. Yeah. And she gives the, one of the greatest lines in the movie, which is she's talking about how they're going to do it and how they're basically going to mow down this town with guns. And she says, like, there's a family here. Shoot the kids first. I owe her that. Yeah. She cries far too easily. Tell her you'll, you'll stop if she stops, if she can stop crying and yeah. she says, I'm afraid she cries far too easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. And then the whole town burns. She takes out Jenny Connolly's husband herself, goes in the car, says, I guess there's, there's some things you have to do yourself. And he go, the father goes, I guess you'll have to explain that one to me. It's just so good. It's really good. And the, the like backdrop is red for the first time because the town's on, <laughs> the fire. Town's on fire. All of, like, the props are gone. So it's literally just the people laying the moon is out for the first time. And then the very last thing that we see, uh, or we hear, I guess, first, there's like a dog barking and yeah. someone goes to kill it. And she's like, no, don't. Like, really, the only thing that he's mad about is like, I once tried to take his bone. Uh, and then do you want to say what happens with the dog? What happens with the dog? 
the, it's the outline and then the dog turns into a real dog and then it barks. Oh, and the movie's yeah. over. That's a little gimmicky, but yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's a little gimmicky. My letterbox review was just like, uh, only know. one, like, LOL, only one dog, one star. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but then the movie, this is like, was the like sort of, you know, what is the word? Enfant terrible of Lars is the movie cuts to David Bowie singing Young Americans to all this Dust Bowl photography. I wish I knew the photographer's name. I think it's a lot of photographers actually, but like. I think it's, I think it's a collection of various photographers based yeah. on the limited research that I did. And it's, you know, that's what the actual town looked like and that's what the actual people would have looked like. And it's just like a gut punch because you realize, oh yeah. And it's funny because people were mad at this movie when it came out. They were pissed. They're like, how dare you try to like pass judgment on America? Which, A, you would have to have a pretty like, you'd have to actually watch the movie to pick this stuff up, which good yeah. for them. And then like, B, is it wrong? I don't know. And they weren't mad at the I... violence against women. They were mad at like the representation of America as yokels. Well, of course, because the violence against women is accurate. And they have uh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the Young Americans is such a fuck you. And I was thinking about, like, again, it's a very Wit Stillman. Like, that's what you would see over the title cards of, like, Last Days of Disco yeah. is that song. And I looked it up, and it's also the trailer song for Reality Bites. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right, right. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, that's good. Then now is when I get into, like, I went right from this to watching the doc, which, mind you, the doc was really hard to find because it was only, like, on the two-disc UK DVD release. And now, thank God, we're living in the future, and it's on YouTube. And did you watch it yet? Uh, no, I told you that <laughs> I wouldn't have time. And also, like, emotionally, I probably, I can't do that this week. I, I might do it this to, weekend. You have to. It changes the narrative of the film completely. Because all of a sudden, Jennifer Connelly's husband is the fucking star. He is so rip shit. He is so unhappy. <laughs> and you get it, because his character sucks shit. And he's so flat and, like, being forced to. And Lars is awful to him and like he didn't sign up for this and all of a sudden i like jennifer connelly's husband a lot i'm like oh wow and like you're there for everyone <laughs> he even keeps giving nicole cigarettes who she loves to smoke on the secret the dl smoker um i love that photo of um it's her at some vanity fair party and she's smoking and, like yeah. one arms out and her head's like tilted back i think it might be colin harn's um like pin tweet uh-huh and it's it's too yeah it's still she's like two feet above tom cruise <laughs> um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also i wrote she'd never have allowed this documentary now never ever 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 um because she's incredibly private about her process and also you see why because she cares so fucking much she's so like in it and giving 900 percent. like for her being an actress is like the end all be all like look how much she works like, clearly she's only happy when she's, like, you know, with her family and when she's acting. And, like, seeing this documentary is, like, the best glimpse of, like, inside her mind. Because you just see her, like, okay, she's spinning everything in the butter. Like, she'll make it work. Whatever she has to do. And, like, he's such an asshole. And she doesn't mark. So, like, if anything, she deserves to talk all the shit. Like, Bjork went through it, too. And Bjork isn't an actress in the same regard. And Bjork also doesn't mark. So, like, I get why that must be a fucking awful experience. Because... He is pushing buttons and like that's not mature. <laughs> it's not emotionally mature. It's not a good thing to do when someone's giving your heart and soul, but like he does it and she handles it like a pro. And like it really does like go into this is when I realized like the look of the movie is insane. Like movies don't look like this. Yeah, the only one that I could think of is like Vadia on 42nd Street to talk about yeah. Julianne Moore again. But like, uh, I, I mean, that's just like that just feels like a. Uh, 
conceit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is actually like filmic. Whereas, yeah, the, the Vanya I, I like a lot, but it still feels like, you know, they're on a stage and they're filming the stage. This, he manages to sort of trick it. Like the camera, the, the camera works just nuts. And the lighting too, like there's that having the walls all emanating bright white light. It's, it's insane. It is good. You talked about it a little earlier um, of just like integrating multiple takes. There's that scene on the bench where like Tom confesses his love and like she maybe leans in for a kiss or she's just closer to him. And then it's immediately cut without any sort of hesitation to a scene where she's like as far away from as possible. And there's just no explanation for it Mm -hmm. uh, because he was like, Oh, this is suddenly the emotion that I want for this moment. It doesn't matter that she's on the other side of the bench, which is so radical. It's amazing. And it creates this great like emotional dissonance when you're watching it. So you're like, you're actually hooked. It never feels like, you know, we bitch about the time, but it never feels like you're watching a three hour movie. It it goes like, you're like, what is happening? Um, the documentary I wrote that he sexually harasses Nicole in the worst possible way uh, in that he does the thing, which I've actually talked to you about before is I hate when people are like, Oh, you'd never want to fuck me. I'm so ugly. And it's like, shut up, just shut up. Oh, he does that like multiple times in this documentary where it's like, Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to have sex with me because I'm too ugly for you. You don't look at me that way. And it's like, you're disgusting. <laughs> it's a disgusting thing in general, but talking to two Sagittarius's here on this podcast, it's especially repulsive. Oh to yeah, this, we don't like the attention. particular cavern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, do not try us. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the only time she breaks dialect making the movie in this documentary is when she's reprimanding Lars, which I was blown away by. The only time, because she, she speaks as Grace throughout all the confessionals, throughout but when the scene's not rolling when she's out smoking with with you know jenny's husband the only time she goes into her natural dialect is when she's telling him like just to be mindful of sexually harassing the actresses (laughs) she is a woke queen the queen and then she makes him cry like which is another fuck you you piece of shit is like she says this like maybe don't sexually harass everyone because we're all working really hard and we're all trapped in this soundstage for months at a time and he starts crying and she has to comfort him and i was just like oh my god and then she talks in the in the confessional how she has a problem disassociating so she can't do movies where she's not personally invested meaning she's not like giving her part of herself which is interesting because then she followed this movie up with bewitched and stepford wives yeah, I mean, needed, we've talked about laughs. how both of those... She needed laughs, but I've talked about it in both of those episodes that even when she has to play, like, a mindless airhead, like, Cylon robot, there's still something, like, there's so much investment going into that. Like, she's just the best at what she does. There's no one better. Oh, no, I will I will stand for Bewitched. I wish there was, like, a cut without Will Ferrell. Because, like... That was essentially my thesis, too, yeah. Yeah, her character is unbelievably sweet. And it's just, like it's just so sweet and wonderful. And she's giving her, her whole soul. She's like a romantic and she's playing this sort of like bubbly. It's like, you know, Amy Adams and enchanted, which to yeah, see imagine, Nicole do. Imagine that you're in a movie with Kristen Chenoweth and you're the bubbliest thing on the set. You know what yeah. I mean? And like, you know, to Nora's credit, every, everything in that movie, it's actually good that we talked about, we wished in step for West because this movie is dark and not, not the most fun. I mean, it's a great movie, but like, it feels like you've been through something <laughs> like all the Lars movies and then Bewitched, she's got that, she's got the same hair color. It's just like a little, a little curly and she's got pretty anthropology dresses and same thing in Stepford wise. It's just, you know, her doing her gay service, it's her, her, her gift to the gays or doing a Paul yeah. Rudnick script. 
even though she's going to give the gays everything they want. Mm-hmm. She didn't want. She didn't want Matthew Broderick. She wanted John Cusack. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, should we? Should we use her talking about her hair color in in Bewitched as a segue to? rating this movie uh do you have any final thoughts before we shift gears i don't want to cut you off no we've covered it well i feel like we've covered it well okay let's um let's rate this movie in as so much as a movie like this can be rated uh i'm gonna give you some one through five categories on various elements of the movie um five being the highest uh you're gonna give me some scores back these can be just about nicole or they can be about the movie as a whole it's up to you i'm ready um and uh yeah. Um, so the first one is going to be the wigs in the movie. How do you feel about them? One through five. I give them a four. This is not a like. This is not okay. a bad wig one. I agree. We've talked a lot about Nicole's hair in this movie, so I think it's deserving. Of it's her real four. hair in this one. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. This is real hair because like that's part of the verite. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. I just think about RuPaul talking about like. RuPaul loves to talk about Nicole and how she's the queen of lace friends and says, and she always says like, if you've seen Nicole Kidman after like 1989, like she's wearing a wig. Yeah. It could be a wig. Um, it's on in the background. I, I genuinely can't tell. I feel like most of it's real just because that documentary may be like really, I, again, I can't recommend this documentary enough. Even if you don't watch Dogville, watch the Dogville confessions on YouTube. It's a, Oh my God. Yeah. You were real. When you were texting me and you were going, watching you, it you were really you, got, you got it in real time i lost my mind <laughs> um how do you feel about the accents in this movie i give them a five because i like tone i like when things aren't good <laughs> okay great <laughs> um do i should i explain the naomi watts scale to you i can explain it i feel like it might bear explanation yeah Okay, so the next one is going to be the Naomi Watts scale. Um, This is kind of a free association for you, but a high score on this would suggest a strong connection of Naomi Watts to this movie. Popular examples are like, did she audition for it? Did her and Nicole text about it? Does she own it on her DVD shelf? That sort of thing. I give it a two. Okay, and what's your explanation for that? I don't think Naomi, uh, I just like, I don't think Nicole really vibes with Robert Altman. I don't think, I don't think this fits in Naomi's worldview. Why would she want to watch something so garish? Sure. Um, I think we also know explicitly that uh, this was a Nicole vehicle from Soup to Nuts. uh, So I don't think she would have auditioned. Great, too. Um, Okay, this next one is approachability. So if you see... Uh, grace on the street or at a small dinner party, that sort of thing. Um, how likely are you to strike up a conversation with her one through five? I think she'd be so scared. I I, I, I would love to. I want to just let her know everything's okay and she's going to be okay and she's doing, she's doing too much. She doesn't need to do so much. You can't get people to like you if they're not going to like you. That's something you learn at the first at the first rodeo. You just learn, you know, if somebody's not texting you, don't bother with them. Okay, bye. So like, yeah. but I think she would be terrified to talk to me. I think she, I think she'd be terrified of you for sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> so like, I don't want to bother. I don't want to put her in that position. She's been through enough, believe me. So I guess one on that one. Okay. Even though I All love right. Grace and like would name my dog Grace and I would name my I would name my car Grace, but I would not. I would I would not try to go up to Grace at a party. No. Okay. Um, the next one is going to be the Scientology scale. So with five being the most suppressive to the teaching of Scientology, where do you think that this movie falls on a, a sliding scale? I'm giving it a solid five just because I've been labeled a suppressive person because of my Leah Remini musical. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Without getting too much into that, wait, can you give us a, a 
I wrote a musical about Leah Remini, and it was a it was a big hit at the Hollywood Fringe Festival last year, and it got me labeled uh, suppressive by the Church of Scientology. We had a very good lawyer, so they didn't they didn't come for us or anything. So I'm I'm flying high. I think this is my first official suppressive person. I mean, we're all. But beyond that, I think we're, you're the first officially labeled. So you're probably the most qualified to give that five. Yeah, give it a, anything that uh, I think basically anything we really love, just give it a five. <laughs> right, right, right. Some other fives just while we're here. Um, let's see. Please tell me. Uh, Moulin Rouge is a five. Bewitched is a five. Batman Forever is a five. I have a good uh, uh, Moulin Rouge story when we're off, when we're off. Oh my god, I fucking am so glad you're here. <laughs> um, the last one that I have is just overall level of iconicness as it pertains to Nicole's career. Overall iconicness? I'm giving this, I'm putting this, uh, I mean, like, everyone can disagree with me, fine, but it's a five for me just because this is the movie where she put her stake in the ground and was like, fuck all of you, I am the actress. It wasn't just like others in Moulin Rouge were movie stars. Like, look, I'm a gorgeous movie star. This is the one where she's like, I'm taking it a step up and I'm showing everybody that like, I'm going to work with auteurs and I'm going to make the weird shit and I'm the actress. Yeah. So I gave Uh, it a five. A five is deserved. Um, Okay. This gives you, this gives you a, a healthy 22 out of 30. Now this means a couple things. Uh, it means you did not win the Golden Compass Award because you were not in first place. But it does put you in uh, the contemporary realm of such hits as Paddington. Yes. Um, the Beguiled. <laughs> the Others. Those are all 22s. So okay. that is not a bad bracket to yeah, be that's in. A, that's, this is a great rating system, Sam. Thank you. Like that's, um, But it fits in those movies, I think. Like in the overall... Of, yeah, it's one point behind the hours uh-huh. for context. This is this is a nice place to be. It's a soft place to land. Yeah, it's, I'm I'm happy. Um, I do have one last uh, activity for you, and I'm not actually even certain if you know that this is going to be a thing. But um, I uh, ha- have decided not to talk about Big Little Lies. Oh my um, god! I, a, I just don't think it fits the form of. I mean, because it's a TV show. I, I don't know. I don't even explain myself to, to I know, you. I'm ready. Anyone. I'm ready. But, whatever, whatever it um, is. <laughs> but what I am going to ask you to do is uh, kind of do some of that talking for me. So I will ask you to talk about Big Little Lies, um, but I'm going to ask you to do it in 60 seconds. Uh, so I will put some time on the clock. And when you feel ready, um, you will kind of just give me your summary of, of your experience of Big Little Lies. Okay. In Big Little Lies a new girl who's a vegan she moves to town and she doesn't have any friends and she has a very sweet little face on and then she becomes friends with Elle Woods and Elle Woods is on her second marriage so she has the best house her house is right on the beach and Elle Woods becomes friends with the brunette girl vegan and then the brunette girl vegan gets in a fight with Laura Dern and Laura Dern's a busy businesswoman so she doesn't really respect the other women because you know, she has to have a job and kids and they don't do quite as much as she does. So they can't tell her how to raise her child. But also Lord Dern's the only one who has a husband that actually looks like he would be a husband in the Bay Area. Everyone else has like, you know, movie star. Like Nicole Kidman is is Elwood's other friend and she is Alexander Skarsgård, so a direct connection to Dogville. She's his wife 
and he's physically abusive. So this gives her an excuse to go to therapy with the Mormon lady from Angels of America. Oh no. Oh no. That was a good minute. You here's what I'll say about that. You did the thing that I've been waiting for someone to do, which is talk about Robin Weigert. And shockingly, no one has done it. Yeah, welcome to my life. <laughs> Permanent mood, people not talking yeah, about Robin no one Weigert. Ever I've wants tweeted, to talk about that. I've tweeted that photo of Robin Weigert's plastic face before she anamorphs in Angels in America so many times. God takes a dirty <laughs> hand down and cuts you open. <laughs> Belly. <laughs> His mangled guts. That was good. I like that you didn't say Shailene Woodley's name once. That's another thing that I applaud guests for doing. Um, you referred her as that vegan girl. I Everyone's think. vegan now. And I just, I like, I listen, I am not like a meat eater. Like I am a pescatarian but like, I just can't, all my friends are vegan. I don't, I don't know if that's up. Is that in San Francisco now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone in LA okay. is vegan and it's just a lot. Cause like there's the, person the same in five front restaurants. Of me, yeah. The person in front of me at lunch today, um, I was in the sandwich line and he asked for gluten-free bread and the guy was the like guy making it was like, just to be clear, like, is this an allergy? And he was like, no. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> and, and I'm on that note <laughs> yeah <laughs> um jeffrey where can people find you online i just i don't know i don't want to promote anything sam i'm just that's here fine. To, you don't have to I'm just here to talk <laughs> it's just honestly, nice. it's just nice for us to be heard once in a once in a blue moon <laughs> <laughs> um i'm really glad you got to do this uh it felt like a real, it felt like a real process. I feel like I rescheduled on you at least a couple times, and then I made you watch a three-hour movie, and then you voluntarily watched an hour-long documentary. Yes, after. everyone uh, should watch this I'm documentary. Very appreciative at all. Um, I will plug this podcast because I have an empire to upheld, and um, I will say that you can uh, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Uh, you can follow the podcast at the Kid Manifesto, or you can follow me at Mr. Sam Herbst or I'm probably just adding Jeffrey anyway. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about is some sort of outro music. Do you have anything either from the movie or just in general that you want us to be played out to? Yeah. Which... <laughs> 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 I want you to play out. I think because Dogville is so heavy, we should have Nicole when she does her speech. I think this one should be an audio outro, uh, like, a, a you know, her dialogue from from Stepford Wise, where she does the TV network presentation. <laughs> oh, where she talks about um, the shows that she's pitching? Yeah, thank you. That's what I want. I've chosen my choice. Sure. Where Mike White comes out and, like, tries to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy whatever audio clip I find from that scene. Um, again, Jeffrey, thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you, um, Sam. You're such a businesswoman. I'm impressed. <laughs> Earlier, you called me Oprah, and the only reason I'm bringing it up is because it's just the, simply the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, no, um, it's not. Let me tell you why, because I'm, I know we're done, but, like, it's also because, like, you're dealing with so many personalities. Like, we all come in with our own weird baggage and our own, you know, takes. So, like, you're sort of negotiating all that, and your take comes through, too. It's just like Oprah. Thank you. Uh, I'll probably cut that out because it's <laughs> it's sincerely very kind. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, thank you. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. Night. Bye. Bye. On Thursdays. No, this is not just a TV show. No. 
This is a breakthrough, a breakout, a break all the rules, and bring on the Emmys, Mega Smash! Yes! Can I present to you this planet's ultimate reality phenomenon?